Got the club going up on the Tuesday. Got your girl in the color she chooses. Club going up. All right, back here on the Sports Grind, Calvin Casey, Jonas Clark, producer, spinning the one and twos. Today's show is being presented by Dosekis. Get a dose. Today's show is, oh, excuse me, being presented by Dosekis. We are broadcasting here from the Maestro de Bell Tequila Studios, 87737-Grind. So, yeah, so that's my thoughts. I mean, it's really not much else to say. Um, I'm pretty sure now he'll be on everybody's radar because how bad it looked yesterday. But my point is, is that... Um, it's anybody's opinion on what contract or who's overpaid and who's this. The contract doesn't make sense. But the criticism across the board from the mainstream media isn't. And, and like I said, those are two prime examples uh, that I can give you in regards to Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. I'll even throw Colin Murray in there. It's just not. We've got some reaction on Facebook Live. Uh, Henry Jones said his expectations aren't high for Daniel Jones and why pay him so much. Um and first of all, Henry, I don't think it was really that much that they paid him. But my whole my whole bill is, is that they made him a priority when basically they have not designed an offense and they haven't figured out how they're going to operate, whether Barkley's hurt all the time or he's not. They haven't figured out an offense. And he and so therefore, it's not so much about paying him so much, Henry. It's just the fact that they committed him. They made him priority over the guy that, yes, got hurt again. But what was your options? Because they didn't have to pay him. They could have made him do the franchise tag. And I told everybody, but the narrative was like, hey, man, running backs are this and this. And the coincidence, the three teams that basically reluctant to play running backs are all struggling at some point offensively. And not at the same, but that's the Giants, the Colts, and Minnesota. Go, somebody tell me where Minnesota ranks running the football. But they haven't found anybody to replace Delvin Cook. So that's the whole point. It's not really about the amount, Henry. My whole deal is he doesn't get the same criticism. He doesn't. Now, going forward now, since it really stunk up again, two games out of the four they played and at home, and he's getting booed from the home crowd, and guys, people are getting to the turnpike early to beat traffic, and Dabo's sitting there throwing uh, you know, Microsoft pads on the ground. Okay. But, they, but they're the ones, evidently, Dabo and the GM, they thought so. So whether it's an $80 million extension or $250 million extension, the money's not really this. I'm just saying everybody else criticizes quarterbacks when it comes to, well, you're paying them that much. So it's not really the expect, expectation thing. Shelby T. James checking in. Hey, Calvin, you need to say it without your chest out. It's racial. Hey, didn't say that, but I don't know what it is. I don't know if it is or not. I'm just telling you what the facts are up to the point. The guy's stats are dismal. I mean, they, they are. I mean, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for the ownership, which I've got a lot of respect for the mayor family, whatever, if it wasn't for them feeling so bad after the McAdoodoo coach and Gettleman, which is the guy that fell on the sword to go ahead and draft him, they probably would have cut bait. But they say, you know what, we've done, you, we, we've done injustice by you. So what did they do? They decided to roll with him again, going into his last year of his contract. Barkley came off of his injury and he balled out and they went to the they went to the playoffs and Barkley still accounted for about 70 percent, 65 percent of their offensive plays. But they told him, nah, just because, you know, you we don't know you might get hurt again, this and this. We're going to take our priorities to a guy that can't win, has not been there. He could turn it around. I mean, it's we're at the week four point. And that gives me back to another quarterback that we were all hard on, that I was hard on after week one. But I'm going to give him a little bit of flowers the way he's been playing. I'll get to him in a minute. 
But the reality of it is we've seen enough sample size and enough of Daniel Jones that the fact of it is he's not that guy. Whether it's an extension, whether it's the dollar, the dollar amount is irrelevant. I'm just turning back the mirror to the mainstream America, uh, media in America that it ain't the same type of criticism. It's not the same pocketbook watching. I don't pocketbook watch. I, I, my tweet last night was just the fact like, okay, well, if we're going to do this and talk about everybody else's contract money, well, let's look at Daniel Jones. So the expectation situation, I don't, I, I just don't, I, I don't really, you know, get that all the way. Joshua Medina's checking in says, "Who's not criticizing Jones? Everybody I hear basically knows he's dumped the juice." Yeah, now, Joshua, that wasn't the narrative in the summer when he was getting his money. There was only a collective few that was saying, "Hey, man, why are you paying? Like, what's up with Daniel Jones? Like, that okay?" And the reason, well, the only reason why I didn't come and kill it because at the end of the day, I knew that it was almost. I won't say all the way a fake hustle, a slide into first base, but it was one of those contracts that like we, we're going to do it and try to get ahead of it. So therefore, because it was a gamble. If he outplayed it, if he balled out, if he'd be a top two or three rated quarterback in the league right now, then they would be looking like geniuses because they got them cheap to value. But there was a section of people that knew it didn't make any sense the way they were operating. And last night, it blew up in their face once again because, right, whether it's that guy can't stay healthy or not, he's on the sideline and they're trash so far without him. Until Daniel, until he proves otherwise. That's that's pretty much, that. that's the way I see it. And that's the right way to see it. There's no excuses to make. The fact of it is, it's the value, this and that. There's no expectations. There's 32 quarterbacks that got expectations. It doesn't matter what the media says, what radio guy says or whatever. When you sign up and there's only 32 of those jobs and you won the jobs, their expectations from that fan base, from that owner, to no matter what they're paying you, there's expectations. So it doesn't make any sense to me how there's no expectations for a team that's coming off a playoff berth. But there was no expectations for Daniel Jones. 877. 3-7 grind. Moving on um, to the Cowboys. You know, Jerry Jones normally does his um, weekly radio uh, interview every week in the Dallas area. And he came out and spoke and just pretty much paraphrased him because he was asked, you know, this is a big matchup coming from the Dallas Cowboys and the 49ers this weekend. And he pretty much went and asked him like, hey, you know, what do you see this type of matchup? Yada, yada, how big a game is. And Jerry pretty much came out and said that he feels the road to the Super Bowl goes to through the 49ers. And to me, look, there's been nobody higher than the 49ers in the last couple of years than me. I see what Jerry's trying to do, um, you know, because he's saying, hey, you know, you want to measure where you're at against the best, uh, you know, the best. And right now, you know, the 49ers, that's the road of the Super Bowl goes to them. He's trying to motivate his team currently to push their buttons again, to get up for this game that everything they've done in the offseason, whether it was stripping, you know, letting go of, you know, Kellen Moore of his duties. Mike McCarthy taking over the play calling. Uh, Micah Parsons taking a more leadership role. Everything they did was based off of this 49ers game that sent them home. The problem that I feel that I have with that, and, and, I, and I'm and you know, old school thinking, but it's just the way it is. You know, I come up from the era where the champs are the champs until somebody replaces them. 
And the last time I checked, the 49ers, now who knows if Brock Purdy doesn't get hurt, but the last time I checked, the Philadelphia Eagles, which is in Jerry's division, are the champs and are still undefeated. I mean, they're only amongst Philly. Ironically, Philly and Dallas, if I'm not mistaken, are the only two remaining undefeated teams in the National Football League. And when you say that, I feel that you really give, you know, more added motivation to Philly when that game because even more because I didn't get to Philly yesterday. But the reality is with the Eagles. And if you look at them through the four games they've played, um, the one constant about them has been the offensive, quote unquote, struggles that they've had up until this point. But the thing that I was going to say yesterday, getting to that game, the Eagles are very impressive and they're showing everybody they're four and zero based off of really how much more talented and deeper they are than everybody. They haven't played their best football. They're going through two coordinator switches. You know, they lost their defensive coordinator to Arizona. They lost Stike into the Colts. And the offense hasn't been as fluent. You know, other than, you know, for the most part, the first half at this time last year, for the most part, Philly's game, they were blowing through people at halftime. So to me, they show that how deep they are and better they are talented, everybody, just to the fact that they're not even playing their best ball and they're 4-0. Now, a lot of that has to do with Jalen Hurts. And that's the reason why I didn't feel not comfortable with going them, even though nobody's won the NFC East, you know, back-to-back years. And, you know, since Andy Reid was there, the reality of his I'm very much respect Jalen Hurts leadership skills but back to Jerry Jones I just don't understand why you would say that because to me if I'm in the Philadelphia locker room and if I'm in the Eagles locker room I'm taking that like well last time we checked we won the division last year and we were the team not the 49ers that went to the conference championship game and we played in the Super Bowl So really, the road to the Super Bowl still goes to Philly. And don't think twice, you know, when that matchup comes up down the road with Philly and Dallas, don't think twice that those comments are, if if they came across my radar, so I know if they make it all the way up to the city of brotherly love, they've got to come across those as well. So if they come up, don't be surprised when that matchup comes up, if it doesn't, if it reminded them. Now, again, we've got a few days to break down the 49ers versus Dallas, but also when you come in and you certain certain things, I see what he's trying to do to uplift this team to get ready for this team but at the same time I think you kind of threw some shade at the Philadelphia Eagles going that way in my opinion 877-37 grime also keeping it moving speaking of Dallas um Micah Parsons you know he's in the his whole weekly I guess it's a weekly type of podcast that he has um but the reality of it is, is that he came to defense and, and I wanted to pose this out there. You know, Kansas City, they went through a situation this past weekend where they played the Jets. Everybody knows the scrutiny Zach Wilson has been been under. Maybe, you know, the New York media and maybe everybody else can take a little bit of heat off of Zach Wilson. Because um, unlike Daniel Jones, he's playing with a defensive minded coach. Um and really, he hasn't, and he's playing with the coordinator now that was responsible for one of the worst offenses known to man. So maybe since that displayed last night, the media in New York can kind of take their attentions a little bit away from Zach and give that some love to uh, Daniel Jones. 
aka Vanilla Vic. But the reality is this. After the game, Rodney Harrison, which works for NBC and football, Football Night of America, was doing a post-game interview with Chris Jones, who's fresh off, you know, what, maybe about his second game back, third game back since the uh, holdout. And he was asking them him about his opinion on Zach Wilson. And he said, hey, look, you know, you hear all, just paraphrasing him, he said, hey, you hear all this chatter about him, and when you turn on the film and you study him, you're like, this guy's garbage. He's trash. Now, he did go on to say, though, when you go actually play him, you realize, excuse me, okay, he can make some plays, he can do this. But the damage was already done. And um, I know my new markets and my new listeners haven't been here that long, but I've always had a policy in regards to athletes. And, and I'm that way when it comes to peers in my industry or whoever that I feel like there is a certain type of professionalism that has to be displayed when you go to critiquing somebody else publicly while you're in the fight game, while you're in the industry, while you're in the league. And, you know, the pushback, there's been some pushback because Michael Parsons, he's ran to Zach Wilson's defense and just saying, hey, I, you know, I think that we're, we're a little overboard here. You know, in regards to he brought up the fact that, hey, man, as a religious man, I feel God's the only one can judge, you know, this and that, the criticism. I don't mind the criticism and I get the criticism that Zach Wilson gets. And I've always said this, you know, it's different than radio guys saying it. It's one thing when the, you know, podcasters say it, the fan base says it, oh, this guy's trash or this guy sucks or yada, yada. But when it comes down to one of your peers a national football player doing an interview that's right after, right after a game, and you go and you sit there and say, hey, when we turn on the film, honestly, you know, when you look at the film, the guy's trash and garbage. I thought it was overboard. I thought it was crossing the line a little bit. Um, I think it's a time and place. But I thought, and, and look, Chris Jones is, um, you know, Kansas City fan to tell you this. Uh, for the most part, Chris Jones is one of the most respected, you know, defensive players, not just from his skill set in the National Football League, but just who he is as a person. So, you know, it could have been, you know, you're in New York, you've got emotional win, you know, Taylor Swift's in the house, it's loop live Sunday night, you're talking to Rodney Harrison, and all of a sudden you get caught up and let it slip. But to me, I think personally, that was a little bit overboard, because I've always been, I mean, there's, you know, there's people that I always, that you know, look at whether they're in my industry, whether or not. I have a certain way to feel about them, but I'm not going to sit there. And I've never, in, you know, partaked in basically slandered publicly on a platform of somebody that's in the industry. I mean, I might have an opinion about it and I've had people attack me, but I just don't I don't believe that. I just think it's unprofessional and any athlete, you know, regardless NFL, NBA, that's always rubbed me, a, a, you know, a wrong way. Now, I don't mind some trash talking. You know, in the day of social media on Twitter, you can get, you can go tweet something, you can go back and forth. But I think when you're doing a post game interview professionally, I just think it's overboard, and especially a young guy like Zach, like Chris Jones, knows a lot of football. Even though he's not a quarterback, but he's been in enough NFL locker rooms, he's been on the gridiron, he's been in field room, he's seen enough quarterbacks, played against enough different quarterbacks 
that you know as a person, whether you're watching film or you're out there, you know the difficulties of basically where a quarterback is mentally and where he's at in his career on the process on how difficult that could be. And especially when it comes to that quarterback position playing in that market, which I've said it for a long time with Zach Wilson. I just believe, you know, look, you have a guy that went to BYU that is a religious school that's low-key, that's up to BYU, a short list. I think I, I might have missed some, missed somebody, but I have to go back to Jim McMahon, probably the last quarterback coming out to put BYU on the map anywhere. And well, let me go back. I can't disrespect the lefty and Steve Young. He went to BYU. But this guy is the man on campus, and it's BYU. It's a religious type of school. The young man is, you know, going in, drafted, coming out. He's probably about 20, 21. First round, second round over pick. You're looking at about 25 to 30 million guaranteed. And he's dumped in the city of New York. There's going to be some growing pains with that. There's going to be some growing pains with that. Not trying to make excuses for him. But at the end of the day, I don't know if Zach Wilson is a quarterback yet or not because of the circumstances he's been handed. And the way the, the front office has uh, treated him and his coach. You listen to the Sports Grind. Today's show is being presented by Dosecchi's. Get a dose. We are broadcasting here from the Maestro DeBell Tequila Studios. Calvin Casey, Jonas Clark producing, spinning the one and twos. We'll be back. Texas summers can get hot, but now they're blazing with the new Zing Zang Blazing Bloody Mary Mix. The latest addition to the Zing Zang lineup brings the same great, bold, and delicious taste that you already know, only much hotter. Shake things up with Zing Zang Blazing Bloody Mary Mix made with premium ingredients and crafted for a bold and savory taste, whether with your favorite vodka or with the pre-mixed ready-to-drink cans. Zing Zang, America's favorite Bloody Mary and an official sponsor of the sports grind. Please Zing Zang responsibly. For more than a century, the Pendleton Roundup has defined what it means to be a cowboy. It also gave life to something equally renowned, Pendleton Whiskey, capturing that unique spirit in every bottle and honoring the enduring legacy of the American West. Pendleton Whiskey is made with the finest northern grains and cut with Mount Hood Glacier water, a whiskey that celebrates the cowboy in all of us. That's Pendleton Whiskey. That's true Western tradition. Pendleton is the official whiskey of the PBR Tour. Pendleton Distillers, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Please drink responsibly. Pendleton Whiskey, official sponsor of the sports grind. Are you moving around the greater San Antonio area? Choose the storage experts. Tiger Moving and Storage. Whether you're moving an office or the whole family, Tiger Moving and Storage offers container drop-off and delivery with efficient, prompt, and cost-effective service. To learn more and to secure your portable storage container today, go to ChooseTiger.com. Tiger Moving and Storage, official sponsor of the sports grind.
All right, back here on the Sports Grind. Calvin Casey, Jonas Clark producing, spinning the one and twos. 877-37-GRIND is your number. Today's show is being presented by Dos Equis. Get a dose. And we are broadcasting here from the Maestro Dobell Tequila Studios. And this next segment is going to be sponsored by Pillin Whiskey. Keep in mind, Pillin Whiskey is distilled from Canada using the finest ingredients from Oregon's highest peak, which is in Mount Hood. Keep in mind, Pillin Whiskey is an official sponsor of the program. Rodeo Bull Riding Association and it's an official sponsor of the Sports Grind and an official whiskey of the Sports Grind as well that is Pillin Whiskey 877-37-GRIND alright so keeping it moving um, speaking of Zach Wilson uh, in the New York Jets they come in town this weekend into the Mile High City to take on the Denver Broncos uh, that are coming off of uh comeback victory against the lonely winless Chicago Bears Uh, we talked about yesterday in regards to um, the positives and the negatives from that game don't need to rehash it you can go to sportsgrindonline.com and you can download the podcast there if you missed it Um, but when I look at this you know the questions I have early because we'll know you know the injury reports kind of come out here sometime today tomorrow we'll get an idea but you know Javante Williams um, I said it yesterday, just doesn't look, you know, the same. Uh, of course, that's expected coming off the type of injury he had. Uh, but he ended up tweaking his hip, I believe, in the Chicago game. So his availability is going to be questionable probably at best going into this game this Sunday against the Jets. And it pretty much got me to thinking, you know, Sean keeps talking about it, but how much is the role going to expand of JaVale McLaughlin. I think, you know, if you look at it, I, I think he's averaging damn near about 7.7 yards a carry. Um, obviously, out of the three backs, when you look at P. Ryan, when you look at Javante Williams, what we've seen through four weeks, uh, JaVale has the the burst. Um, you know, I know in the post game, I kind of heard Sean talk about, yeah, you know, when they kept pressing and the media kept pressing them and, and, you know, in regards to it, does he mean he's going to have an expanded role? Are you going to get the ball more to him? One of the key things I picked up on that Sean said was the fact that, you know what, I don't want to get too carried away because there's certain situations when we have him in the game, you know, he's trying to, he's caught up and trying to pick up a linebacker that weighs about 275 and blocking him. They put him in some different positions. So he's trying to say he has to pick and choose how to use him. Uh, but when you go into a game versus the Jets um, that you know that you're going to have a stellar defense uh, that the Jets have showed. Now, the one thing about, you know, the Jets, which I didn't even really get too much because it was kind of into that game yesterday uh, on Sunday night about Kansas City. Um, the defense played inspired um, the Jets. You know, it looked like it was going to be a runaway. But regards to the, the youthfulness in this pretty much unit, Sala being that's his expertise that he, you know, kind of is the he's not an offensive minded coach, he's a defensive minded coach. The consistency of the pressure, I think, of the New York Jets going forward has to really rely on their defense. So when you're looking from the Denver Broncos standpoint, um, I think kind of what you do, you look at the game Pacheco had 
uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think one of the things that you look at that you try to do, and I've said this about the Dallas Cowboys, and I'll always say this about good pass rushers and good defense like this, you got to run at them. You got to really run straight to them. Uh, but that's that, that's going to be interesting, especially if, and I think everything that they showed kind of into camp, uh, you know, coming off that injury uh, and Javante Williams, I anticipate this particular coaching staff and training staff to kind of handle him with some gloves. I don't, I don't expect, I'll be surprised. I won't say I'll be shocked, but I'll be surprised if he's out there this Sunday versus the Jets. But I definitely think it gives an opportunity from JaVale McLaughlin to really basically jump on the scene. I mean, he's already introduced. I mean, him and Marvin Mims are really the two bright spots of the offense that have really, you know, scored the touchdowns besides the other guy who's under center. Uh, Russ, you know, I know I heard um, some of Mike Cliss tweet, th- tweet this out, but through four weeks, I believe Russ is like the number third rated quarterback in the NFL. Last year on the Hackett, they averaged about 15.5 points a game. Same type of uh, pretty much like I said, for the exceptions of Marvin Mims, which is a second round pick, technically their first round pick overall because they didn't have a first rounder. For the exception of him, little Jordan Humphreys, which has kind of been in, you know, maybe another receiver, Piron. It's pretty much almost the same offensive unit, the guts of it. And this year, Sean is averaging about, I think they where I saw, I think they averaged about 27 some points a game. I said this before last week, and I said it before. The whole notion in regards to in this offseason with this hire and Sean Payton was, can he fix Russ? Can he fix Russ? And there was a lot of narrative out there last year that a lot of people thought he was done, he was washed up. And I think, you know, like Daniel Jones, he plays on a trash team as well, too. They're one in three. I'm, I'm from the old school of Bill Parcells. You are what your record says you are. But the one thing anybody that's looking at the games and not actually scoreboard and just box score watching, you can see no matter – they might not win another game this season. They might only win two games. They might be a team that only wins four games. But the one thing I'm – and they're going to play t- stiffer competition. I mean, Sean put that out there and say, hey, no disrespect to what, uh, you know, Eva Friss and the guys are doing over Chicago, but we're going to play better competition. We need to be better even on offense than, than they already are. But – even though they're going to play better offense, I don't know where he's going to end up. If he's going to stay at that level, I'm pretty sure it has a lot to do with playing the the Washington Commanders, Raiders defense, even though it's been approved, but it's nothing to write home about. He could fall off in regards to maybe he ends up in the top 10 or he goes, but right now, currently, he's the third ranked quarterback. And I'm safe enough to say, you know, injuries change a lot. But if this team only wins two other games, three other games, I'm safe to sit here as we sit here early October. It ain't going to be Russ's fault. It's not going to be Russ's fault. And the reason why I died on the sword with this one last year, because I, I believe once you, if that's in you, once you have it, you might have to be humble. You know, they always say NFL is a humbling thing. Hell, life is humbling. We've all been in positions where we've been humbled. But the bottom line is if it's still in you and you've proven you can got it, you can always go back and get it. Now, is he playing at this level of a all-pro MVP type? No, he's not. And I don't think he necessarily has to. I've been saying this for the last year or so. I don't think necessarily he has to to be this to make this team, you know, competitive or a true contender. It's really about the parts around him. And right now, through four weeks, we're dealing with a dead last, at least probably bottom thirty to thirty-two ranked defense. 
So, but the Bart Scotts of the world, everybody that caught caught up with the less ride, nobody's really came to. There's been a few people that have acknowledged basically his play. The deep ball was questioned. He's thrown a lot of deep passes. I don't know where he ranks in regards to deep ball. But it showed you, yes, he had something to do with it. He was out of shape last year. He was that. But also, it shows you that he was evidently humbled and got refocused and go. So I think when you talk about where they go, now the question is, the million-dollar question is, because they still have a decision to make You know, when it comes to Russ, regardless how good he's playing right now or how he finishes, they're still going to have a decision to make come April. Um, and that deadline about that 40, that 50 million that's going to start kicking in. Or do you want to just pull the Band-Aid and do the cut? Now, unfortunately, that I think has shifted to where the narrative going in was all going to be on Russ. Well, like if Russ doesn't work and Sean's not committed to him, then he can cut back. I mean, I even told you that. But I think now that we're a quarter past the first quarter mark of the season. It could be one of those decisions to fact, like if he's not on this roster, it could just be like, well, what difference does it make when we need other things, depending on where they would fall in the draft or vice versa of the cap situation? Does it make sense where we're at as a team right now, despite on how well he continues to play or how he finished the season, just particularly him? Because it's not tennis. It's not boxing. It's not golf. It's not an individual sport. But the reality of it is because of the wins and losses and where this team might be lacking in depth, which I've talked about, and the lack of defensive. Uh, and really, I think defense is still a work in progress because I think it's more scheme than anything. Yeah, they've got some guys out. You know, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they might be getting some guys coming back from the Calvary this week. I know Dolage. I mean, he's offense. He don't play defense. I'm hearing rumors there could be a sighting here pretty soon with Kwan Williams. That could give them some depth in the secondary. So, But for right now, I'm looking in my eyes, especially the first half of that Chicago Bears game, it's still a scheme situation. And, and I believe that if you look at the career of Sean Payton and his coaching and the defensive coordinators that he's had and the offensive coordinators with Lombardi, who was with him now in Denver, was with him in New Orleans, he's the type of guy that will let his coaches coach. But that game against Chicago, that's the most talking out of the four games they played. That's the most communication. This was all pre-halftime, by the way, when Justin Fields was looking like Joe Montana and Steve Young all in one in the first half. There was a lot of conversation going back and forth between Sean Payton and Vance Joseph. And that's why I said yesterday it makes me believe on what type of adjustments or how much, whether it was a DB's coach, whether it was Sean coming in, on really those adjustments. Not trying to take anything from Vance just yet. But the reality of it is, it was a tale of two halves. Now, Chicago played some into that. You know, they always say bad teams find ways to lose. You, I mean, you, you saw the first three weeks with Denver. I mean, besides the blowout in Miami, the first two weeks, they just found two different ways to lose. Special teams, a mixed extra point missed field goal in week one. Week two, you just blow a 21-3 lead at home. So the thing going into this game is Javante Williams, will he play or not? How would they handle him? Would they handle a little bit more gloves? And does this expand the role of JaVale McLaughlin? It's, he's average, and Sean said it, the best players are going to play. It's not about how much you're making or where you come from. The best player is going to play. And he kind of showed a sign of that by starting Jonathan Cooper over Randy Gregory. And basically, when it was time to make a play, Jonathan Cooper, Benito, those guys were the guys with the edge rushers, the young guys that are not really under contract, not making the type of money that he's making. 
speaking of Randy Gregory. And I've been on record saying Randy Gregory, he's got a ski mask on right now. He's stealing money. He has not been in, I think I've seen him out of four games. I think in the Washington game, he made a play. I think maybe he made a sack or got a pressure. Miami, he was a cone. He wasn't, nobody showed up that game. Raiders game, he wasn't impactful. And even in the Chicago game, that comeback or the defense making stops when they had to in the second half had nothing to do with Randy Gregory, in my opinion. 877-37-GRIND. Also, keeping it moving, um, speaking of that division, we didn't get to this yesterday. The Raiders um, had to make a decision on Chandler Jones. You know, he's been going through, uh, it sounds like he's going through some, he's in a dark place. Um, you know, I never want to really judge anybody from afar, especially sitting in this seat. But it's a situation where, you know, when you have to, you know, because remember last week he came out and said that he was forced to go see the doctor. He was forced into a hospital without against his will. And then I believe Friday night in Vegas or Saturday, I think he got arrested. He got detained. So finally, the Raiders had to make a decision, I think, two years into a $51 million contract to cut bait on Chandler Jones. Um, look, I mean, Raider fans and Raiders, they, they, they're in a tough spot as well, too. I mean, with the situation with Jimmy G, I mean, this is another guy that, you know, um, Josh McDaniels bought in, you know, gave him a contract. Um, one of the knocks on Jimmy and the 49er fans can tell you that. Can he stay healthy? Is he going to get hurt? Now, this was a concussion which pretty much the rookie came in that wasn't active. I know Jonas let me know last week that he wasn't even in the roster, but that's who got to start. There's some bright spots I do see with the Raiders, but at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to W's and L's, and they're in a tough spot to where you have a disgruntled wide receiver, which I think is just a powder cap. I mean, he's putting up decent numbers. I mean, Devontae Adams is still being Devontae Adams for the most part. He's taking a lot of big hits, but we know he's not happy. Uh, he hasn't happy with the fact that they've got a trade. They traded, you know, um, his buddy, Derek Carr. In my opinion, it, it, it looks like he kind of knew what kind of offense they were going to run with Jimmy. But I think if you look even at the even at the Chargers game, which speaking of the Chargers, man, Coach Staley, um, I didn't get to him yesterday, but he dodged another bullet. I mean, this is coaching malpractice. I mean, the defense bailed him out once again. This is a situation to where going to that game, speaking of the Chargers, you have a game where Khalil Mack, I think, recorded six sacks. Khalil Mack. AC's, you know, father just asked a question about a week ago, Where's who's team Khalil Mack on? I said, well, he's on the Chargers, but, you know, he's long in the tooth. He had recorded six sacks in this game. The Chargers have the ball. Mind you, two possessions before that, Justin Hibbert playing with a splint, then got to put a glove on it. Comes out, he's broke. He has a broken finger in his non-throwing hand. So you've got all this going on. The momentum has shifted over to the Raiders. You pretty much have a guy that has shown this whole game. He's got six sacks to get to the quarterback. And you decide from your own, I don't know, 30-yard line, approximately around your own 30, that you go for it on fourth and one. And let me kill two birds with one stone on this, because this is another thing I didn't get to a chance to get to yesterday, and we saw it rear its ugly head again last night. I know this is a copycat league. 
you know, when the Wildcat first came in, everybody was trying with Miami, with Ricky Williams, with running that Wildcat. Everybody tried to implement that. The Wildcat stayed around about as long as Millie Vanilli did because it was phony. But the league tried it. So there's been certain things that have happened. You know, the West Coast offense is just is what it is. That's the behemoth. I mean, that's just rooted into the National Football League fabric. But this mush push. And, you know, and I was one of the ones that was really avid, like, hey, we got to get this. I'm back in Peter King. We got to get this out. We got to we got to eradicate this for the game. Well, I think I can pipe it down a little bit on that because I watched this weekend and NFL, I don't know too much about college, but NFL, that play went, I think, one in four, one in three over the weekend. The teams that tried to, New England tried to do it in the Dallas game, didn't get it. Giants tried to do it last night, didn't get it. The Chargers tried to do it early on in that game, didn't get it. So really what we're finding out about this mush push let the inventors, let the guys, the personnel on the line that's in Philly, let them run it because no one has shown really that evidently it's a lot more than just getting a bunch of big fat guys up in the middle and having them cut defensive players' lines at the legs at the end. So I want to make that note because, again, but back to Staley, man. I mean, look, they unfortunately they had a rookie quarterback uh, that made the wrong read, that kind of got panicked, that made the wrong read on the slant that was a pick. That end up basically sealing the game. Uh, but the Chargers and Staley, it male practice. It's just a matter of time. I've said this before a few weeks ago. Staley just reminds me one of those guys in life that I don't know if you call them the thrill seekers or whatever, that they want to cheat death so many times. Like it's like an obsession with it. Like you keep putting yourselves into situations because it's a rush to you, but you're cheating death. Staley is pretty much malpractice coaching right now, and he is a major, major liability. For that particular team. I don't even know what the stats look at. I don't know how successful he's at doing this. But I know out of the four games this week, this year that we've had through the quarter mark, he's gotten bailed out two games, I think, in a row. Or maybe in between. It was one about a few weeks ago where his defense has bailed him out of a decision to kind of go for it when it made no sense. When not only are you not at the halfway field at the 50 or a little bit past your side of the field, you have control and you control the game and you got a seven point lead. They need a touchdown, not three. You're not up one. You're up seven. And you make that decision to still go and go for it. Malpractice, man. Just a matter of time. Just a matter of time with that guy. 877-37-GROUND. When we get back, where's all the Atlanta Falcons preseason Supporters, I've got my thoughts on Atlanta after seeing them with that, especially with that Jacksonville game. I want to get to when we get back. You listen to the Sports Grind. Today's show is being presented by Dosecchi's. Get a dose. We are broadcasting here from the Maestro de Bell Tequila Studios. Calvin Casey, Jonas Clark, producing, spinning the one and twos. We'll be back. When life sounds too much like this. It's time to consider more of this. Sometimes a little shift is all you need. A dose of perspective. Dos Equis Lager. Get a dose. Enjoy Dos Equis responsibly. Copyright 2021. Imported by Cervezas Mexicanas, White Plains, New York. Maestro Dobel Tequila was born from 11 generations of tequila-making legacy. 
It is sourced from a single estate in the volcanic lowlands of Jalisco, Mexico, using the finest 100% blue agave. Double distilled and aged in European white oak barrels, Maestro Dobel's commitment to innovation isn't only to discover new ways of distilling and aging, it's about elevating and crafting a superior tequila that is the essence of mastery. Maestro Dobel is the official tequila of the PGA Tour and an official sponsor of the sports grind. Please drink responsibly. It's time to warm up that scoreboard and get ready to bring home the win with Specs. Specs has you covered with lower prices on all your favorite fan fuel. From craft beer, rare spirits, and world-class wine to chips, dips, and gourmet finer foods. And with same-day delivery when you order online or through the app, Specs is your MVP for the biggest score of the game. At Specs, the fun starts here. Here's to you, cheers to savings. Just because the sun is setting earlier doesn't mean the fun stops sooner. Now is the perfect time to get to Specs and stock up on after-summer savings with fresh new releases in every category. Specs has Texas' largest selection of lower-priced wines, craft cocktail ingredients, and beers that'll have you raising a glass to every sunset. The biggest savings of the season are at Specs. The fun starts here. Whether you're looking for a date night at the Dominion or a light meal while shopping on the weekend, stop by Thai Lao Orchid at the Dominion. Just five minutes north of the shopping center, Thai Lao Orchid's Vietnamese options are great for dinner or lunch, serving up staples from curry and noodles to the house special nam and seafood lovers steamed clay pot. They're open weeknights from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. and noon till 9 on Saturdays and noon to 8 on Sundays. That's Thai Lao Orchid at the Dominion, official sponsor of the Sports Grind. 